Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage Michael Galopter, Mina Peliapen, and Steve Ma. <laughs> everybody. How you doing? Um, my name is Michael Galopter. I'm the moderator and I'm going to give a little bit of background on Lean Startups for Social Change here. First, let me say, if you have questions, we have about 10 minutes. About a third of this time is devoted to answering questions from the audience. So if you have questions, please go to slido.com. I guess maybe I need to advance it to that. Um, anyway, to slido.com. Nope, not quite. All right. Anyway, to go, go to slido.com and enter Lean Startup. Uh, and you can ask us questions. They'll come up on our panel. And about 20 minutes into this panel, we'll start answering them. Uh, so please, and I'll remind you a couple more times, but please do post your questions. So it's really exciting to be here. Um, I finished a book late last year called Lean Startups for Social Change. I had been most of my life, until eight years ago, a social change activist, working mostly on global warming and social justice. And eight years ago, started doing clean tech software and realized that this incredible movement, I worked with Steve Blank, read Eric's book, and that there was this incredible industrial movement um, to change the way we innovate and to change the way we build new companies called the Lean Startup. And as somebody, and I kind of got religion, and I wanted to understand how is this really different? Living in the social sector, living in any sector, frankly, we're all subject to fads or ideas that come and go, management ideas, and the question is sort of why, this one felt really deep and different, as I'm sure because you're at this conference, you felt that as well. Um, and I realized that there was a fundamental reason why Lean Startup was actually something very new and very deep. And it's really based on one thing and one thing only, which is that it's, fa it's possible faster than ever, ever before to measure the impact of an action you take. At the end of the day, that's the central driver for why Lean Startup is so powerful. It ramifies in tons of ways. Here's an example of how we used to do environmental monitoring in the wilderness compared to today when there's cell phone towers. You used to be able to tell what the level of a stream was or the pollutant in a stream was every six to eight weeks if you were lucky. In the winter, you couldn't tell at all. Now you can tell on an instantaneous basis because of remote sensing. Um, something as simple as a flyer is radically different because of technology today. When you call someone to a meeting, and they come, when they leave that meeting, you have their cell phone and email address, which means if you're smart, you can start testing immediately what the impact of that meeting was. That wasn't true 20 or 30 years ago. It was a much slower and different kind of process. So underlying what's happening in this sector and something we have to talk about in the social sector, why should we adopt this new industrial technique in our sector, is really this fundamental change and we have to wake up to our ability to sense the world far more quickly than we were ever able to before. You want to talk technically, it means that feedback loops are getting a lot shorter. And feedback loops kind of drive a lot of human and natural and other existence. And we have to adapt to that and think about it, and especially in the social sector. So I wrote this book called Lean Startups for Social Change and really summarized what you, many of you already know if you're Lean Startup practitioners. It's based on a process called customer development. It's got three principles. We renamed it productive failure rather than fail fast. I think a lot of people, even in the private sector, are failing that finding that fail fast is a bit of an ouch moment for people, um, uh, and agile, agile development and efficiency, basically, the need to do things lean and, and cheap. Um, in, terms of product, in terms of the big difference in the social sector is the customer is not the payer. Right? They're not, the, the customer isn't paying for the service in most of the case, or they're not paying even the full, the full cost. So even in a hospital, for example, there's a complicated price structure which is not fully visible 
to the, to the patient in the bed or, or, the, or the client at a doctor's office. So even in places where money exchanges hands, there's not as direct a linear relationship between the service and the customer uh, as there is in the private sector. As in the, in the private sector. Um, and also there are many different customer types. So most social enterprises would follow a category, of what, a cl the class of what we'd call a network effects business, a multi-sided market, with often generically speaking a funder, a direct target, and an indirect target. A funder might be a school board, a direct target might be teachers that you're trying to help, and an indirect target is finally the students where the real impact is felt. But your service may not be to those students, it might be to the teachers, and you might have to serve the school board to get money from them. Productive failure is really an interesting concept in the social sector because so much of what, you do, what we do in the social sector is to work on problems that aren't going away. Failure is not an option, for example, in Afghanistan to use a very extreme example. It's not an option in education. You can't just not educate people. You can continue to fail to educate people and continue to pay a social cost for that failure. So the need to understand experimentation and the need to understand the role of experimentation and getting to failure quickly is really critical because it preserves social and political capital. You need to make deep change. Even investors in the private sector are used to losing their money. They made a bet, it didn't work. Right? In the social sector, that's money they could have given to some other starving kid or some other cause they knew existed and knew worked. It's a harder risk. There's more pangs of regret, even among the funders. So there's challenges around failure, and putting failure in its right place, as the Lean Startup does, is critical to, using, to doing social change effectively and more radically. And finally, I'm not going to cover this part. You all have seen this, this is, I think, in Eric's book and Steve's, Steve Blank's book as well. It's just the, the way that Agile helps you reduce the risk as in what's under that curve of what you don't know. Right? You keep the area under your experimentation curve smaller, and you've got a lot less unvalidated effort, which is a, a way to efficiently generate results uh, and iterate your way to higher success. With that, um, I want to close with one quick point, which is that um, in addition to there being this epical thing happening at the top, the ability to sense the world more quickly, there's an impact that Lean Startup is having, and Eric mentions in the last chapter of his book, which is, um, if you think about it, in the 1870s, a guy named Frederick Taylor started taking pictures of ditch diggers and figuring out how to make manufacturing more efficient. It became scientific management, which led to assembly lines and Henry Ford, but it also led to a major realignment of the relationship between labor and capital, and the need for labor unions and workers to be paid differently based on their labor because production became so much more efficient. You can think of the in startup as being the science of demand. Think of Taylorism as science of production. We're getting very, very good at understanding what people need because of all this technology. And we're putting a lot of people out of work, including travel agents and a lot of middle class people in the service sector. And a really great example of that is the coming change in autonomous vehicles. Driving is the number one source of employment in 40 states. And just last week, the first uh, beer truck rolled without a driver. Uh, and with that general overview, I will pass the baton to Mina Palapi, and we'll talk about specific examples. Okay, thanks. So I want to talk to you. I want to tell you a story about the power of lean startup in a social impact organization. Okay, let's see if we get to my slides. Here I am. Okay. So I had been working on international development and water and sanitation for many decades. A few years ago, I launched a project in Indonesia called Water SMS. It was providing better water services for urban poor people. And I got over a uh, million dollars from an international donor to fund this project. And for 
three years in advance, we had to lay out every month what we were going to accomplish. You can imagine this didn't really give us a lot of opportunity to be responsive to what we were finding on the ground from our users. It was this kind of project and this kind of funding that was making me so frustrated by the pace of international development and really the scale that these projects were reaching. Too many of these products in the development sector were about telling poor people what to do or collecting information from poor people in the service of larger agencies. And none of these are really looking at people that were poor and vulnerable, that happened to be poor and vulnerable, as powerful agents in change and as users. So after many, many decades of development work, we still have billions of people who are struggling to meet their basic needs for water, for food, for shelter. And these are the same people that are now on the front lines of climate change-induced extreme weather events and resource scarcity. Could lean startup possibly make a difference in the scale of these challenges? What if we could grow a social impact organization that could reach the scale of the need? So we, uh, we went to uh, Tech for Good Startup Weekend a year or two ago, two years ago, um, with the idea of creating peer-to-peer -peer solutions in the, uh, to create peer-to-peer -peer communication. And our Silicon Valley advisors at the event kept telling us to focus, focus, focus. And so I focused on a sector that I know a lot about, water. And so we created a, an MVP. It was an app, a way for urban poor people to share water price information to improve the affordability of water. And people loved it. Who doesn't want more people in the world to have access to affordable water? So we won first prize at the Tech for Good startup event, and we launched our mobile app in Indonesia. Why Indonesia? Indonesia is a country with a highly literate and tech-savvy population, but where tens of millions of people don't have access to affordable water. Here's what happened when we launched our app. People didn't love it. So as a lean startup organization, we were constantly asking our users what their daily challenges were and how we could build a product that could help them with those. And what we heard from our users was, it's great, sharing water prices is great, but really we want to share information on a lot more things that we're facing in our communities, like infrastructure problems, like garbage, like jobs. And so we threw away what we had developed and relaunched as a hyper-local social network. It was neighbors helping neighbors. It was crowdsourced information delivered back to people in actionable ways so they could stay one step ahead of uh, what was happening in their neighborhoods and their cities. And uh, what we found from this is what, what people were using it for. They were using it to help prepare for and cope with emergencies like fires and floods. They were using it to share information about resources like education and jobs. And they were using it to take collective action on things like garbage in their neighborhood or uh, a broken street light or a pothole in the road. So it was incredibly valuable for users. And flooding is a chronic problem in much of Indonesia and in Jakarta. It, 
Last year, during the flooding, we saw the power of Atmago of people helping people prepare for and respond to flooding. Before the floods, they were telling their neighbors to clear stormwater drains to prevent flooding and the location of government flooding shelters. During the flooding, they were posting photos like this of flooded streets and telling each other safe routes through the neighborhood. After the flooding, they were warning each other to watch out for signs of waterborne disease in children. And we document stories from our users all the time, the, the ways that Atmago is helping them. One of my favorite is, uh, is Fadri. So Twitter and Facebook are very popular in Indonesia. And one of our users, Fadri, said, all the other social media is like ego media. It's what am I doing or what am I wearing? I love Atmago because it's something different. It gives me a way to help other people. And the value that has been provided is demonstrated in our user numbers. We've reached over 100,000 users, and uh, we're growing every month. So I want to close with sort of some of the things that we've learned in this process. In, in my previous project, Water SMS, where everything was preordained from the project start, we reached 1,000 users in two cities. With far less money, we've reached 100,000 users in th three cities in Indonesia. More organizations, for-profit organizations, non-profit organizations, <coughs> and governments need to be looking at poor and vulnerable people as users. What are their biggest challenges, and how can we help solve them? We were lucky that our flagship funder, Cisco Foundation, was willing to go on a user-directed journey with us. They initially funded us for water. And when we came back to them and said, actually, people don't really want this, they were willing to shift their focus, which was an incredible gift for us to be able to continue to follow the user. But a lot of funding organizations in the nonprofit sector are limited by the silos that they fund in. And what we really need in the nonprofit so sector is sustained and flexible funding. This is the way that we're going to create the transformative solutions that these communities need. Thank you. Thanks, Mina. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, so Mina gave a great example of lean in practice, and Michael talked about sort of some of the general ideas about lean in the social change sector. I'm going to talk about you know, why we need this. Um, this is an image of one, one red person uh, out of seven. Uh, and this is the poverty rate in the United States. So one in seven people live uh, in poverty in the United States. This has been the same for about the last 50, 45, 50 years. Um, the poverty rate, by the way, for a family of four is about $24,000 a year. If you can imagine having two kids running around and trying to make it go by with $24,000, you realize how significant of a problem this is. And it's sort of intractable. We're not getting better despite massive business income and uh, prosperity in the, in the financial markets. Um, on the environmental side, 25 years ago, I was working on environmental issues, and we talked about this thing called global warming. And if we didn't do anything, we are going to have massive floods in some areas and terrible droughts in others. And of course, what happened? We didn't take dramatic action. And now we have massive floods in some areas and terrible droughts in other areas. There's uh, umpteen examples of, of what our inaction uh, has led to on climate change. 
Um, this is a graph of historical US income inequality, which just shocks me. I, when I looked at this, I'm like, I can't believe it's just in 50 years, the massive amount of concentration of wealth into the hands of very, very few, and the lack of uh, equitable distribution to me just shows that we are on a long-term trend in the absolute opposite direction that we should be. Um, when you look at the business world and the stock market, you think, hey, everything's great, right? We're making a whole lot of money. And uh, it's probably not all that provocative to say that corporations and their ability to make a whole bunch of money has caused a whole number of social problems, uh, environmental problems as well. But uh, Michael asked me to be slightly conceptually challenging. So I'll also say this. The business world is causing problems. I would say that the nonprofit sector is not solving them nearly uh, as innovatively as they should. This is a, a chart of charitable giving as a percentage of GDP, and you'll realize we're basically stuck here, too. We beg for change. We get 2% of people's money, and we can make some difference on the edges, but we're not fundamentally transforming the systems that we need to transform. And there's been old school strategies that we've been using on the business side and the for-profit side, uh, on the nonprofit side. So old school way of doing corporate uh, good was corporate social responsibility. This was an opportunity for businesses to make a whole bunch of money, screw over the planet, screw over workers and communities, and then donate a little bit money to make themselves feel better. Um, on the nonprofit side, as I say, we've been just asking people for change, desperately asking people to give money so that we can do some good, but we're not fundamentally raising enough money to make the transformative changes that we ultimately need. Now, the cool kids are now doing this different thing, thankfully, which is to think about people, planet, and profit at the same time. You can call this triple bottom line businesses. You can call them social enterprises. You can call them the new third sector, whatever you want to call them. The folks that are thinking about how to solve environmental issues, solve human people issues, and make money at the same time so that it's scalable and can impact literally millions or billions of people, um, they're all in this new world. And this is the world that we're in. And I will argue that trying to make a business profitable, a lot of you are just business people, right, trying to do some, some, make some money. That's really hard in and of itself. To make some money and protect the environment and, and help communities and people and workers is triply hard. But it's worth the fight. It's worth the effort, I would argue, given what's going on in the world. So, Thankfully, there's actually some success stories that I quickly want to go through of folks who are doing this, either nonprofits or for profits. The fair trade uh, movement is now a $722 million market in the US. Uh, AARP, which is a nonprofit that also owns a for profit, makes a billion dollars a year and serves 40 million members. Goodwill, uh, which uh, does worker training, also has thrift stores that you might have uh, bought your Halloween costume at. Uh, they make $5 billion um, a year. Uh, and then all of that money is funneled back into their nonprofit work. The solar industry, which is a for-profit, obviously uh, green technology, uh, is booming. And uh, they're making now $22 billion a year, and that's going up. Um, the organic industry is now $43 billion uh, market share uh, in the US market. And religions, which is maybe uh, some people might think, not think of this as a, a traditional nonprofit, but they are in some ways very much a business, a very lucrative, successful business, and they're also a social service provider uh, doing social change um, in a really interesting way, and that's $114 billion annually. Um, these are uh, organizations that I would say are in this third sector that are creating change at scale, millions and millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars in sales or uh, revenue, uh, and millions of people impacted in a positive way. 
So I have a message. If you are a nonprofit, uh, if you are a for-profit business person, please think about people on the planet as well. If you're not doing that, if you're not making them your bottom lines, if they're not part of your ongoing conversation, then you're just perpetuating our systems which are highly inequitable, destructive to the planet, and irresponsible. But I also have a message for nonprofit leaders, which is if you're not thinking about earned revenue and scalability and rapid experimentation, then you're gonna be stuck just plugging holes, constantly begging for more money, and not making the fundamental changes that we need to make to make the world a better place. And finally, I have a message for all of us, which is if we're not solving our problems in a lean way, then we're just wasting our precious time and resources. And as Michael said, a lot of times in the nonprofit world, we just can't fail. People's lives are on the line if we fail at what we're doing. So let's get out of our buildings, experiment rapidly, and move the needle on key metrics that are focused on social responsibility, sustainability, and the planet at the same time. And we can fundamentally transform the world if we do it. Thank you. Hi. Well, thanks very much, Steve, Mina, and um, just a reminder, if you want to ask us questions, go to slido.com and enter pound lean startup. We have four questions here already, and I'll start with these. Um, so thanks for the folks who sent that in. Um, so um, given that the customer is not the payer, how do you validate hypotheses and convince the payer that your idea slash product is worthy? Do you want to take a first cut? Sure. Right. I can do that. One of the things that uh, the three of us were talking about earlier is the challenge of having at least two different uh, parties that you're responsible to, the funder and the customer. And I, I, I was saying that there's a challenge. It's doubly hard to be a social impact venture because we're trying to get the same scale. You know, We're trying to get month over month growth. But we're also trying to prove to our funders that this is a social impact, that we're really creating a social impact here. And one of the challenges that I would say um, I faced, and I'll get to answering this question, is that it would probably, we'd probably get to revenue faster if we could uh, serve users that were a little bit less the poorest of the poor, but actually more like lower middle class. We could get to revenue faster, but when we're getting funded by a foundation, they want us to serve the poorest of the poor. And so I think that there is this, um, this uh, tension there um, in that. How do we convince the, pay, the payer that, that our idea and product is worthy? We need to do a lot of measure, we need to do a lot of measuring of our impact and communicating that to funders. So uh, we're working on that a lot. It's not something I can get from Google Analytics. We need to talk to our users, get the stories. We need to conduct surveys off the app in order to demonstrate impact. And it's, it's very expensive. Yeah, I think it's, it's harder to, um, uh, some, it's, you know, when, when you're a for-profit business, it's, it's clear that money is coming in, it's higher than revenue, you've got pro it's higher than expenses, you've got profit, right? You, you can kind of measure that very clearly. When you're measuring impact, it's oftentimes a little bit more complicated. Um, but one of the things that we do, I, I run an a organization called Accelerate Change, and we help uh, nonprofits build financially sustainable businesses, and we are actually trying to make the customer the payer. Sometimes it, they might not be paying 100% of the cost. We might be subsidizing it with some other thing. But when we're providing real value to even low income, very low income people, they will pay something. And we can validate that we're offering real value to individuals. But I think the impact uh, questions are much harder. Um, but lean 
encourages us to focus on, on key measures that matter. Um, so there's the income side for sure that's relevant, but there's also the impact side, which uh, we all have to work really hard to figure out what are the key measures of impact that we want to measure and are we moving the needle. Yep. So that leads, actually that leads to this, I have a little bit of an answer which I'll give a partial answer to the next question, which is how do we incent uh, grant makers to offer more sustained and flexible giving to support lean methodologies for social impact? And so partially as an answer to the last question, I'll just say um, it's actually now, it's also worth kind of having a little bit of the fanaticism we have at this conference about lean methods when talking to nonprofit funders. Um, and, and for example, if you think about the discovery phase in customer development, uh, and, and how you test for your solution, there's sort of a solution hypothesis or a value hypothesis, but there's also a growth hypothesis, right? And so actually not so many nonprofits and not so many foundations are very good at saying this is our value hypothesis. Our hypothesis is that if we do this, we will have this result and generate this value. And almost none of them are any good at, what's the, at the second part of the value proposition box on the lean canvas, which is the growth hypothesis. How big can this get? Not everything has to impact a billion people. There are lots of social interventions that if you get 50 people, you're good. But rarely in the social sector do we rigor, and rarely in the social sector do investors rigorously ask themselves, how much are we spending to, to get how big, right? They want, a lot of times they'll go back, and by the way, this happens in the for-profit sector as well. Janice Fraser always talks about lean startup porn, right? A lot of statistics that are thrown out that aren't real, right? But the reality is, um, if you really think about innovation accounting seriously, it's not enough just to get to 1,000 users. What's important is to bend the rate at which your user growth is happening. Right? That's the black belt innovation accounting practice. And if you go to funders and challenge them to think about changing the rates of rates, great, we're getting 2% of, of donations this year. How do we get to 2.2% next year? Right? How do we go from 2.2% to 2.6% the next year? So that the rate at which we're influencing the service delivery or the change is different. You can't argue with that. Lean Startup gives you a framework to put it out there, and, not, and I think that's one way to force funders is to push them on their own metrics and to say, look, it's not rigorous enough just to show that the whale was saved. You actually have to talk about the rate at which the whales are being saved and the rate at which that rate is changing so that you can actually protect the whole ocean, for example. Any other suggestions? Well, I would just say, so I worked for AERP for a number of years. Um, AERP is a, four, uh, a billion dollar nonprofit with 40 million members. None of their money comes from a funder. When you go to a funder and you say, hey, if we do this right, we can impact millions of people and not have to rely on your funds anymore, which ultimately achieves both of our missions. A lot of funders actually get excited about this. In, in a lot of uh, conferences, you know, we like to complain about our funders and we're not getting enough. But um, Accelerate Change, oddly, we're just in this space where lean is like the cool thing now, and funders are actually saying, yes, let's do this. We're going to give you money to innovate and try things, and we're not going to give you specific program outcomes that you have to follow. Go innovate and use this method and come up with scalable models. So um, I think things are shifting. It's slow in the nonprofit world, but we're just starting to figure out that we need to innovate. These problems are intractable, and if we really want to solve them, we have to do things differently. Uh, and so some funders are actually very, very uh, open to these ideas, thankfully. Yeah, I, I do think that one of the things that we want to encourage more funders to do is to not really be very tied to silos and really just be user-directed as, as much as possible. And this is something that other organizations that uh, are working in this, if we want to do some more thought leadership on it, is just can we just ask people what they really need and can you fund us 
for that to get to scale so we don't have to depend on your funding anymore. So funding outside of silos would be really helpful. Right. I'm going to ask, I'm going to go to a very practical question. What web-based tools do you use to help you operate in a lean manner while engaging the crowd in funding and solving the problems you face? Um, I'll let you guys take a cut. Some, I know that Accelerate Change uses a lot of different tools. Yeah, we use a lot of tools. I would say the most useful is not all that exciting. It's just Google Docs. Uh, whenever I think of an idea, I just open a Google spreadsheet and I just start putting in numbers and creating little price calculators and sharing it with our folks. And then um, we just create these dynamic, uh, essentially, Excel spreadsheets. Uh, and then we validate our assumptions. So we put in these numbers and we assume this is how this thing is going to go. And then we go test it with real people and realize what the real numbers are, put them back in, and see if we've got a model. Um, that's probably the most useful thing uh, that I use. We use Slack as well to um, stay in touch. A lot of our folks are um, just all over the place, and that's our, our communication device. Um, I, I, I really liked uh, Value Proposition Design, uh, that book, and their uh, online tools um, to just kind of map uh, value with their customers. Um, so those are a few that I would mention. Yeah, Slack is great for us too because we're a very uh, distributed international team. Uh, we use all of the analytics stuff, you know, Mixpanel, Google Analytics, all of that. We use Tableau, so we have to interrogate our database in order to find out what are th people talking about, how many people are talking about flooding, or how many posts are there on flooding. So we use Tableau as our business intelligence uh, uh, software to do that. We, um, and Amazon Web Services, I mean, it really makes it possible to launch something like this really cheaply. I'd love to get it for free, but they're not offering it yet, free for nonprofits, but it's, it's a really, uh, it's already a great service, yeah. The work I do with um, larger organizations that have multiple innovations going on at the same time, I've been using the Lean Launchpad, which has been used to train entrepreneurs, sort of used at the business schools to train classes of entrepreneurs. There is a portfolio dimension to this work. And once you get into like, working with foundations or working with large organizations that are running multiple innovations at the same time, and there's a couple of tools that let you manage multiple teams and metric multiple uh, the customer discovery process at multiple teams. The one I use the most right now is Lean Launchpad. So I'll, I'll quickly say yeah. Google AdWords uh, for nonprofits. You can get ten thousand dollars a month of free Google AdWords, which is mm -hmm. we. We max yeah. that out every single month. And the big, uh, yeah, the biggest shocker I've found for nonprofits is how easy it is to do LinkedIn, Facebook, and Google Ads growth hacking mm -hmm. experiments. Mm -hmm. That's there's an incredible, as you guys all know, probably it's becoming much easier using combinations of them, things like Unbounce.com and Facebook to very tightly target short-term cheap tests. I mean, I've reached 13. I was at a hackathon for my son, and we reached 3,000 parents overnight. Um, to test an idea, a business idea that his classmates came up with uh, on Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. So with that, we wrap, we're going to wrap up, but um, I don't know why this, oh, it's clowning backwards now. Mm -hmm. So thank you to our panel, um, and please feel free to approach us afterwards to talk about this and do social change. Thank yes. you. Thank you.